Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am Sean, joined, as always, by my brother, Ian. But, Ian, today, we are not alone. Please intro our guest for today's podcast. What's up, everybody? We are very lucky to have the host of the Walder Sportscast, Chris Walder. Uh, Chris is one of the most popular and vocal Raptors Twitter personalities out there. We're stoked to have him on. Uh, it's me for me personally. This is a really, really uh, huge deal. I've been following him for a while, so this is uh, this is pretty awesome. So, Chris, welcome to the pod, my man. Uh, you guys are just buttering me up. Thank you so much for the <laughs> kind words. I appreciate it. And I love how I'm a prominent member of Raptors Twitter as I sit here. I don't know if anyone can see it wearing a San Antonio Spurs hat. That's all right. We, we, we have to thank the Spurs as much as anyone else for last year's title. we got to remember that. Yeah, they get a little bit of credit on the Raptors Championship Wikipedia page. You- yeah, they, they, they definitely deserve it. And the $3 million we got also along with Kawhi and Dan Green. <laughs> we, uh, we, we earned that one. Well, let's jump right in. I just want to say you've been very open and honest on your feeds about your growth, uh, your road through the sports media world. Um, why don't we just start off with a little career history, your background, and sort of how you got to where you are in, uh, in the Twitterverse? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, I took broadcast journalism at Seneca College in Toronto for uh, a couple of years back in 2011. And I just, ever since I was a kid, I wanted to get involved in sports, sports media. I knew I couldn't cut it as a professional athlete. I knew that way back when. So I was, I figured, you know what, I have a voice, I want to use it. So I just kind of took the long road to get to where I eventually got. You know, I, I wrote for a number of sites. I've written for Fansided. I've written for SB Nation, Raptors HQ, Bleacher Report, like anyone who would give me an opportunity, basically. And I just kind of applied my craft like that. I, I remember recently looking at some of my old pieces and God, I was so bad. I was such a trash writer. But you know what? <laughs> Everyone kind of starts off at that position and you learn by just writing your butt off. And that's what I that's what I did. I, I got a job at the Score mobile app in downtown Toronto. I worked there for four years and uh, it was a tremendous opportunity. I met a lot of great people. Uh, I've I covered a lot of games. It was an experience that I never thought I would have. Uh, unfortunately, that time came to an end last year. But you know what? I'm stubborn. I still want to be in sports media. So I spend a lot of my time, you know, on Twitter, interacting with predominantly Toronto Raptors members of, of social media. And of course, I, I recently started a podcast, uh, the Walder Sportscast. So that's been a lot of fun. I think the pandemic kind of freed up some time where I could really get that off the ground. I got some equipment, you know, uh, cashed in on some of those connections to get some really good interviews. And that's been my focus as of late. Well, you left out yeah. one one part of your path, Chris which is game ops with the Toronto Raptors from 2006 to 2011. And I know that it's not necessarily media, but those were some pretty dark years. How do you, how do you handle game ops for the Toronto Raptors during the Andrea Bargnani era? Well, you know what? The first year that I started working there as an intern was the year that they returned to the playoffs. So if anything, I deserve a ton of credit for getting the (laughs) franchise back back to the promised land uh but it, it was it was honestly one of the best jobs i've ever had uh you know that first year was the year that the nets uh were, were in the first round uh, yeah. the vince carter comeback and and the fans yeah. just booing his ass out of the building so that was kind of cool to be there for that live experience i've never heard anything like that in my entire life and people always say when lebron turned to cleveland i returned to cleveland as a member of the miami heat that was the loudest boo fest i would put the vince carter return up there with all of that but 
as an overall experience, I, I thought it was a blast. You know, I got to work with the mascot for a year as his assistant. That showed me Come on. Uh, that I needed to get my cardio up because chasing him around the, the former Air Canada Center, my God, I needed an oxygen tank strapped to my back. It was uh, a lot of running. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was awesome throwing T-shirts to, into the stands, being on the court. You know, a lot of Raptors fans would kill to have an opportunity like that. So I was very blessed. Well, it, what it becomes, right? It becomes an exposure thing. And when you're in game ops, you're sort of exposed to all different areas of what makes um, what what makes a game day work. And I think you know. Um, I used to work for a hockey team out in Portland, Oregon. So I was exposed to it a ton and it's just super valuable. So I, I, I'm totally with you um, on, on the podcast note, definitely check out um, Chris's podcast. It's amazing. Uh, last, uh, last few guests have just been unbelievable. Uh, Jack, Jack Armstrong, Chuck Swirsky, like just fantastic. So definitely everyone check that out. Um, while we're on the topic of sports media, um, you mentioned that, you know, in the beginning you sort of were writing anywhere that would take you, um, you know, Raptors content, things like that. Is there anything about that landscape, the sports media landscape um, that, you know, you wish you could change? Are you finding that you like the podcast space more than writing or how is that all going? Yeah, I always thought my career path was going to take me down the writing path. You know, I was always focused on my writing, always on applying my craft. But at the same time, people, I always got compliments on my voice. And I had a friend of mine that I used to work with in Raptors Game Ops named Jason Lung, who also has a podcast of his own. That's the Rap Podcast for Raptors HQ, which is a lot of fun. And he reached out to me. He's kind of has an audio background. He used to work for Sportsnet 590, the fan in Toronto. And he said, Chris, like, I, I know you're, you have a broadcast journalism background. You've always wanted to do a podcast. This is something that I kind of want to work on you with. If you ever decide to get it off the ground, I want to be the guy behind the scenes. I want to be the one kind of toiling with your with your audio and whatnot and kind of making it sound a lot better. So when I first got the podcast off the ground, I was extremely nervous. You know, I didn't think anyone was going to listen. I didn't think, you know, I was going to be able to get guests. But once I kind of got into that groove, I was like, I can really turn this into something special. So 14 episodes in, I believe, I'm really starting to get into a groove and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. So I think now I've just kind of realized that this is the path that I need to go down and writing will always be there. I can always kind of like, you know, start up my own blog or, or freelance if need be. But for right now, I think this is uh, where my path is heading. It's, it's cool. You mentioned that, right. Is, you know, you have a vision and then it kind of changes on you, right? Like you're still in the game without being in the game. And I listened to yes. your podcast with JD Bunkus. And the one thing that he mentioned was, you know, his biggest piece of advice was just to be flexible, be malleable, like have an opportunity, like you may have what you go into it with is thinking this is what I'm going to be. But don't take, don't not take opportunities that are in front of you, because it's something different than what you always dreamed or what you thought your path was going to be. And it seems like that's something that, you know, that you have kind of have followed. And that's what you're trying to do. I think that's important for everybody is to be a jack of all trades, like never turn down work, never turn down opportunities, whether it's, you know, photo editing, audio, writing, like make sure you can do a little bit of everything because that's the most valuable thing that companies right now are looking for. You can kind of branch off into different directions. And like I said, unfortunately, not being with the score anymore, I have at least applied myself, kind of built up a resume, and now I can do a lot of different things. And that leads to more opportunities down the road. Right, for sure. And, you know, it's funny, you mentioned on the pod, I think it was the Chuck Swirsky pod, um, about shooting your shot on Twitter. 
how, you know, <laughs> when, when you're trying to get guests and, you know, you go out and you just shoot your shot. And because at the end of the day, you know, that's how you're going to continue to build and build. And it, I was listening to it knowing that Sean had shot his shot with you. So mm-hmm. the whole, that whole interaction just, you know, I think it was the intro to the pod just made, just gave me like a lot of joy. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, uh, when you're mentioned shooting your shot, we're, you know, Sean's doing the same thing on Twitter. Well, well, thank you so much for making it seem like shooting your shot with me is a big deal. I'm, I'm no Chuck Skorsky. I'm no Jack Armstrong. <laughs> but you know what? I've kind of given similar advice to other people on in the social media landscape, people that are like, I'm nervous to kind of reach out to people. Honestly, what's the worst thing that they can say? They exactly. say no, or I don't have the time to do it. And that's not going to kill your self-esteem. That's just the reality of life that people have other obligations to do. So when I sent out that tweet where I was like shooting my shot, I put like Shaquille O'Neal, Trish Stratus, Chuck Swarski, all of these people. And I'm like, okay, they either don't respond or they just hit me up in my DMs and say, no, it's, it's not something I could do. But having Chuck come out to me, like he, he did it on Twitter. It wasn't even private. He was like, let's make it happen. So he hit me up in the DMs and he said, what's your podcast? Tell me a little about yourself. And I said, you know, I have this kind of resume in the industry and I would love to be able to chat with you. And he was like, you know what? Bright and early, 830 in the morning, if you want to sit down for half an hour and talk online. And let me tell you, the podcast may not be indicative of it, but like we had so many audio issues that day. I remember he kind of logged out like four or five times during it just because his connection wasn't sticking. I think he was doing it on an iPad. But he was so gracious with his time. He stuck around with me and I got like a good 35 minute conversation out of it and uploaded it. And it's a lot. There's been a quite the positive response. So, again, to anyone out there who's in podcasting that's afraid, just just go for it. It's not the worst thing in the world if someone declines you. That's amazing. That's amazing. So well, and having, you know, and one real quick note, I, I, you know, Sean and I work in sales, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, typically when you work in sales, if you're making sales calls, someone is going to curse at you or, you know, be mean oh, to yeah. you. Typically on Twitter, like if, if someone doesn't want to do it, like you're exactly right. What is the worst response? Are they going to curse at you? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I, I guess maybe, but it's over a computer. Who cares? I've heard the worst things in the world on social media. My girlfriend will look at me and see some of the responses and she'd be like, why are you doing this? Like, what is there to gain? I'm just so deep into into social media right now with Twitter, like building up my following, interacting during Raptors games that, you know, there's always the mute button. There's always the block button. If someone says something that really bothers me, just kind of get it out of there. I try and be as positive as possible as much as I can. And I, I even mentioned that during the podcast, like when I have a guest on, I want to compliment them as much as possible because first of all, they don't have to do the show. They took time out of their day to come on and talk with me. So the least I can do is say something nice about them. And at the same time, I just kind of want to have that aura about everything I do. I don't want to have like have negative conversations. I don't want to be all down in the dumps. I just want to be, you know, because the last couple of years of my life have, you know, it's been a roller coaster. And I kind of want to keep going up right. in an upward trajectory. And I'm using the podcast to do that. Well, well I'm, re- think- I'm really not looking forward to, as we continue to grow, anyone on Twitter with the negativity towards our podcast. Because my brother is a complete psychopath. And I am not looking forward to him handling his temper in any way, shape, or form when it comes to social media. So I know that he's going to be professional, obviously, but that's one thing. I, Maybe some clapbacks. We'll see. The negative, <laughs> the negative Twitter stuff is going to, is going to be a, something that we're off to handle. That is, and before I know Sean wants to jump into Brooklyn, and I do too, but you know, one thing I've noticed with you is that even the darkest, darkest Raptors years, you, you know, 
and I'm not even talking about the LeBron James exits, right? Like, you know, those were really tough, but even the darkest Raptors years, you always found a way to remain positive. And I think from someone who was getting dumped on basically from 95 onwards, all Raptors fans, you know, to have someone on Twitter that can be positive about the state of the franchise. I always found that, I don't know, I found it weirdly comforting. I don't know if that makes sense or from being crazy, but I always really found that. I always really found that. Sometimes it's difficult to remain oh, positive when you're talking yes. about your favorite sports team. And I was talking to J.D. Bunkus on my recent, recent podcast, and I asked him about being a Maple Leafs fan and how hard it is to kind of stick with that team and be optimistic when all of the time, considering all of the talent that they have, they continue to just break your heart or they sucks, continue Chris. to just it's fall sucks. short. <laughs> Again, my <laughs> condolences to all the Leaf fans out there because that must be brutal. But for, for Raptors Twitter, you know, we kind of have like a family mentality. Uh, and when things get really dark, we we stick together. We look for the light at the end of the tunnel. And that eventually came last year when we won a championship. So they the team gets like a decade of just like easygoing takes from me yeah, from now on. Sure. Because that's something I didn't think I would ever see in my lifetime. And I think Leafs, Leafs fans are going to be the same way. If they ever kind of break that drought of not winning the Stanley Cup, Leafs fans are just going to kind of take off 10, 20 years and be like, you know what? They can do whatever. It doesn't matter. Lose, win 10 games. I don't care. I got the cup. And nobody loves a good underappreciation for Raptors uh, teams than Chris Walder. You know, especially in the offseason this year, everyone was doubting them. And there was a lot of content out there about them missing the playoffs, not being good enough. And Dennis Scott. And Chris, you stored that stuff right into the memory. Shout out to Jason McIntyre. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so let So let's get to that Raptors team that we all love. They have qualified as the second best team in the NBA, going 7-1 and in the bubble after the Lakers and Clippers kind of scuttled. Uh, Lakers more more kind of impressingly the scuttling that they've been doing, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. They are set against the pesky Brooklyn Nets. Chris, what do you see coming from this series? I know you have predictions. I'm looking forward to it, but what are you expecting to see from the former champions? Uh, just a maintained level of consistency, just kind of carrying over what they've had from the seeding games. I want them to stay healthy, first and foremost. You know, obviously the pandemic is one of the worst things we'll probably ever experience during our lifetime. But from a sports perspective, it's been great for the roster to kind of like alleviate some of those old wounds, like the nagging injuries, getting guys like Marcus Gasol and Kyle Lowry and Norman Powell, get their legs underneath them. And now going into a series with a Brooklyn team that, I mean, talk about depleted obviously Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are their one-two punch but they're not going to be around they're they're losing DeAndre Jordan of course Wilson Chandler Spencer Dinwiddie like they're down to like the, the leftovers basically but they've been churning out a ton of success in the bubble going above 500 which I don't think a lot of people foresaw and they're heading into this series with the reigning Raptors you know the reigning NBA champions the Toronto Raptors playing with house money like no one expects them right. to beat Toronto but at the same time, their confidence is higher than it's probably been all season. And they think they can actually take this series. So I think Toronto needs to be on guard for this. I don't think they – I think, you know, in their heart of hearts, they know this isn't going to be a cakewalk. But they get, they're they going to have to definitely apply themselves. And, you know, there's always that – the background joke of the Raptors losing game one. And we're recording this before game one. So I'm kind of on pins and needles heading into this first game, to, to say the least. Yeah, well, they... I think with those teams, right? Sorry, Shawnee. I, I think with those teams, it's really hard because teams that play hard, just in general, make it 
all you make it so much more difficult. You know, the, the, Brooklyn's not a team. Jacques Vaughn's not going to coach a team that's going to roll over. I mean, Karis LeVert is a baller, yes. is a baller. And I think, you know, the role players, I like Jared Allen, but you got role players around where I think they're going to struggle to score 100 points against this defense. But they're going to play hard. And Kenny Smith said it on TNT. If you play hard, you get 41 wins. And I think, you know, that's why you got to look at this Brooklyn team. It's, it's an addition, basically, for a number of these guys. There's always those rumors that Brooklyn is looking to acquire a third star. And Bradley right. Beal has been at the forefront of those conversations. So you see guys like Karis LeVert and Joe Harris and Jared Allen thriving. And who knows if they're even going to be on the roster at this time next year. Obviously, right. obviously, there's a lot of question marks on how next season is going to look and when it's even going to begin. But looking at these guys, they're, they're young, they're extremely talented, and they do, they're just playing with a carefree, we have nothing to lose attitude. And I think that's scary enough to take at least one game against the Toronto Raptors. If they were to get more, I'd be surprised. But again, this is not going to be a cakewalk for Toronto. They shoot a lot of threes. They play a lot of zone, which this year has been a bit of an Achilles heel for the Raptors is, is the zone defense. Now, again, a lot of those numbers are attributed to a terrible, terrible shooting night they had against Miami this year, but it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult. And I think that brings up my next question to you, Chris, is you know what potential roadblocks do you see for this team going through the playoffs, starting with Brooklyn? You know, is it, is it their half-court offense? Is it you know, Pascal Siakam? Like, what are you most looking forward to seeing what the potential hurdles are going to be and how they're going to break through them? Well, I've said this a lot on my podcast. The Raptors kind of function as a sum of its parts, and they don't necessarily rely on one guy. But at the same time, if Pascal Siakam is struggling, they're not going to get past the second round. Because after Brooklyn, and of course, I said Brooklyn might take a game, maybe two, if they're extremely lucky. But you get presumably Boston, and then Milwaukee, and then obviously whoever comes out of the the Western Conference. So Siakam, in the bubble, he was shooting below 40%. He was averaging as many turnovers as he was assists. This is the guy that's been thrust into this number one role. You know, he's not at the level of a, of a Kawhi Leonard as he was last year, but, you know, he's your go-to guy, and he's going to be a guy you're looking for at the end of games to take big shots. And if he's playing the way he was in the bubble, then, yeah, Toronto will be lucky to survive a team like the Boston Celtics and then the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm looking more so to see what he can contribute this is his first playoff run where he is in that number one role. And he's lucky to have a bunch of veteran guys as well as that experience that he had last year. Like I look at the game one of the NBA finals against the Warriors where he just decimated uh, one of the I best defenders so. in basketball and Draymond Green. I want that guy. I want that attitude in this postseason run. But again, you look at just kind of the circumstances surrounding everything, the bubble, not having fans. I'm curious to see how literally every team in this postseason is going to function, but mostly Pascal Siakam. For sure. And I think, you know, it's interesting you bring up Boston um, because you don't want to look past Brooklyn. But that Boston loss, you know, as Raptor fans, like I feel like we're getting a little spoiled. Like we went 7-1, you know, like we got to be happy with that. Um, But the Boston loss did highlight some potential issues. And, you know, one thing I really wanted to ask you is do you see – Boston as a bigger threat or a bigger hurdle than someone like Milwaukee because it felt like those two wings Tatum and Brown I mean their development's staggering on its own but do you find them a bigger problem than a Giannis Middleton I guess Bledsoe grouping what are your thoughts on that 
we could just write it in right now that Eric Bledsoe is going to just crap the bet against Toronto because he, he seems to always do that. Always. And Toronto has his number. <laughs> uh, Boston, Boston honestly scares me more than Milwaukee. I think in last year's Eastern Conference Finals, you're obviously blessed with having Kawhi Leonard. For and sure. you, you mix it up. You put Kawhi on Giannis. And then the entire series shifts for you because you win four straight. Against Boston, this is a team you have not seen in a seven-game series. And when you have played them in the regular season, They've had your number. So they're going into a potential second-round matchup with all the confidence in the world knowing that they can take you out. And you kind of match up the rosters side-by-side. And it's kind of a coin flip at that point. I think against Milwaukee, if you kind of take – easier said than done. You take Giannis out of the equation. I think everyone else kind of falls in line. Chris Middleton, one of the most you know exceptional shooters in all of basketball – He's not someone who can kind of take over games on his own. He kind of needs Giannis to kind of drive and kick and, you know, the 50, 40, 90 line that he almost hit. Like, he can really torch you. But if you contain Giannis, then, you know, Chris isn't much of a factor. Against Boston, they're so deep. They're so talented that, you know, their size is kind of underrated. You know, they don't have someone who can necessarily match up with a Marcus Gasol or or a Pascal Siakam per se, but they're physical. They're extremely tough. And like Brooklyn, their confidence is high knowing they can beat you. So I'm more concerned about that second round matchup. And I'm looking forward to it because I know the two fan bases on Twitter have been just going at each other for years, just begging for this matchup. And you know what? It's been so many years in the making. And finally, one of us can just shut the hell up for a while. Hopefully it's not Toronto. But uh, that, that's kind of what I'm, I'm looking forward to the most. But it, that's going to be the one that, that makes me sweat more so than Milwaukee. Well, and I think so. I agree with you. Sean and I had this discussion, I think, on our last pod. And I was more worried about Boston. And you mentioned the size thing. You know, size can be an advantage for us. Obviously, with Gasol and Ibaka, they don't have the bigs that can touch those guys without Horford. So, yeah. But, you know, if you think of it from the other side, you know, are, is Boston going to be able to play those guys off the floor? And I think that's where the, you know, where the real chess match comes in, where we can look at size as this distinct advantage. But as we've seen in this NBA, it can quickly become a distinct disadvantage if the other, guy, other team is, you know, basically Houston you off, you off the court. Yeah, Boston, I mean, they have the options to go small. They, they're so loaded on the wings and, and we, we have our fair share of wings as well. I mean, OG and Anobi developing into one of the elite defenders in all of basketball. But the only problem is Anobi can't guard three, four of their guys at once. Right, right, and if they right. want to throw out one of those deadly five man lineups at you, then it's really going to call on everyone else to kind of go hard with the man to man defense. But uh, yeah, Boston is extremely scary. I'm not sold on like Jason Tatum being like this top 10 player just yet. I kind of want to see him kind of get through this postseason. Mm-hmm. I really like Jalen Brown. I love his attitude, how he's been handling everything. And, and he's like, as a number two guy, I think that's great for Boston. You know, I'm kind of flip flopping on, on Gordon Hayward every now and then. And I think Tayus has, given them a lot yeah. of just kind of like this Dennis Rodman brute strength. And he, he just doesn't give a damn. And I love that about him. So in, in a seven game series, seriously, like uh, the Milwaukee Bucks rampaged through the entire regular season. And they've, they're obviously the favorites to get out of the East, but that second round matchup, it would not shock me to see either Toronto or Boston get all the way to the finals. Right. Brown has always killed us. He is incredible. And, and, you know, you're going to be forced Siakam's going to be forced to be a defender in that series. He can't mm-hmm. just play offense, right? He's going to have to guard one of those guys along with OG. I know that Norm will probably pick up some of that. But what I'm really looking to is we have our seven. We have the starting five. You got Norm and you got Serge off the bench. We have four guys vying for that eighth rotation spot. And Nurse has 
traditionally cut it down to close to eight in the playoffs. And it's nice to have flexibility, but you're looking at guys like Boucher, Rondé, um, Terrence Davis, and um, I'm missing one, Ian. Who am I missing as, as one of the... Not Stanley. Not Stanley. Not Stanley. So I, I know I'm missing Stanley one. Man. <laughs> but who do you look to to potentially really take hold of that eighth rotation spot? Could be Matt Thomas, too. That's the guy. Yeah, Matt Thomas. Yeah, if you need someone to spread the floor, he's a guy who can give you 15, 20 easily if he gets into a groove. Uh, Terrence Davis, unfortunately, has struggled in the bubble. Uh, he's not someone I would trust with heavy playoff minutes. But honestly, I think Nick Nurse is just going to go based on need. If you need some grit and grind out there, some defense, expect to see Rondé Hollis-Jefferson out there. If you need to spread the floor, Matt Thomas. If you need some athleticism, go with Terrence Davis. Like This team is so blessed with depth that even though when you go into the playoffs, you try and constrict that rotation as much as possible, I just think Nick Nurse has so many options at his disposal. Like if Marcus All gets into foul trouble, well, maybe we'll see some heavy minutes from Chris Boucher. Who knows? Like those last two games of, of the seeding where they were just riding their bench guys, like Boucher's feeling himself right now. Matt Thomas is feeling himself. Why not give them some run against a Brooklyn team that is, you want to talk about a team lacking in depth, why not give some of those guys some heavy minutes? So I'm curious to see how Nurse will run his rotations. I don't think he's going to stick with just eight guys, as at least of right now. Uh, options are good to have. Options are good to have, Chris. For yes. sure. And I think you mentioned Boucher's confidence. I mean, that dude's like pulling up on the break. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, he's, they're on the fast break and it swings to him. And he's like, I'm taking it, you know. And I think that's, you know, that's really great. And that's that's obviously an attribute to, and it's, to to the development of these guys. I mean, they're really coming along. I, I to me, I you have to think the roster spot, the, the eighth spot is going to be Rondes to lose. Uh, but you're right. I mean, I think Nick is going to base it on need. And I think that's what you what you should be doing. I mean, you're right. We're lucky. We're blessed with that. Um, now, you know, as we sort of talk about the playoffs, I want to jump into some broader Raptors questions with you. Um, sure. Because, you know, the NBA is such an off-season driven sport. Their off-season is just so, so entertaining. So we can't can't totally ignore it. But um, the big one right now is Fred Van Bleet. There's an argument to be made that he's been the best player in the bubble, although I still probably lean Lowry, for the Raptors. Van Bleet's been incredible. Um, how do you see that contract looking? Do you see him coming back, or do you see a scenario where maybe he's moving on to a team like the Knicks or the Hawks or someone like that? I think he's so engraved in this iteration of the Raptors, I don't see Masai just letting him go, or at least not putting up a fight. I don't know how much they're willing to pay at this point. I don't foresee a circumstance unless they're willing to just take Bush League money where Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka are back, because I think a lot of money needs to go to Fred Van Vliet to keep him away from one of those you know, lower-tier teams that have the right. money and are in desperate need of a point guard. But you know, lest we forget, as much as you know, Raptors Twitter loves Kyle Lowry, his, you know, and this season has been kind of like an aberration in terms of the numbers that he's putting up. Two, three years down the line, is Kyle Lowry going to be your starting point guard? Maybe not. Just, right. be, just based on his age, and that's kind of when you kind of take the dip. He's had this Chauncey Billups-like career where he's excelled in his 30s, and that's where he's found most of his, of his success. But at the same time, you need to be looking for the future. And Fred Van Vliet has proven time and time again, especially in that finals last year, you know, let's remove that Sixer series from the equation because right. he was yeah. just god-awful. But he's your point guard of the future, and I need to. Th I think you need to throw as much money as it's going to take at him because he's 
the future of this of this uh, of this roster, obviously. So uh, it's going to be a weird offseason because the salary cap is going to take a dip and they're not going to have as much money uh, to throw at guys. But I don't want to see Fred Van Vliet on a Knicks. I don't want to see him back with no. Wayne Casey on the Pistons. He needs another. To be a yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, for sure. That's another. Uh, interesting one to someone like Detroit. I, and I think, you know, you really, you really, I mean, this is why, this is why your podcast is so good because you, Sean told you that he's a Pistons fan and you drop a line like Kyle Lowry being Chauncey Billups and look how happy he is. Look how happy look that, that guy is. Look at that. Million bucks. So happy, yeah. <laughs> Big shot. Love it. <laughs> you, you guys just need more fans in attendance. What's with those low attendance numbers? No, the, Chris, the team is awful. Like it's not. Let's call a spade a spade. They're, they're a disaster. Uh, we're talking <laughs> Raptors here. Can we? Let's stay positive. Let's stay positive. My bad, man. It's your podcast. Don't worry. I could trash <laughs> the Pistons and their fans all day, but yeah. uh, let's let's carry on. Yeah, it's, it's, honestly, Dwayne Casey beating the Raptors. I think twice after he left was, and they, I think they blew like a thirty point lead. The Raptors blew a thirty point lead. Like I was depressed. So trust me, my fandom very much has has shifted and. You know, a lot, we've talked about OG's growth. We've talked about Fred Van Vliet becoming the player that he is. And I, you know, we're, we're watching the, the Grizzlies game in the bubble and you got Serge Ibaka, who traditionally legit can't pass or dribble, throwing no-look dimes to the corner for threes now. And mm-hmm. I personally can't get over the fact that that has to be attributed a lot to this coaching staff and the organization as a whole and their, and their overall development. You know, what do you feel about that? Nick Nurse has been sent down from the heavens above to take this Raptors team to where it needs to get. And I loved Dwayne, Dwayne Casey. He has a special place in my heart for getting this Raptors team to a certain point, but not the point that this team needed to get. But Nick Nurse is so creative. He's so He thinks outside the box, the box, literally a box in one, throwing that against <laughs> Golden State. And you know we're seeing all of these, co- these coaches around the association, association getting these extensions. And it's just a matter of time until Nick Nurse gets his. He's undoubtedly the favorite for coach of the year. I'd be shocked if he didn't get it. And when you have that kind of confidence on the sidelines, when you have that level of, you know what, he's in his second year and he's already proven so much, you know, and we look at the Raptors, you know, there's going to be days where the offense isn't clicking and they're going to struggle to hit a hundred points, but the defense is always going to be there. And that's attributed a lot to Nick nurse and his schemes. So in a playoffs like this, with the players confidence high, I look at a guy like Nick nurse on the sidelines. I'm like, this is the man for us. He's going to be, you know, we get back to the finals. This is a guy who can lead us to another championship. And I'm positive that the organization is going to take care of him. And, and that's where I'd like to see them flex a little bit of the muscle that they have with MLSE, right? And you, you see this with the Leafs all the time. There's a hard cap in the NHL, but that doesn't mean that they can't pay coaches, scout, scouts, managers, executives, any amount of money that they want. And I'd like to see them flex a little bit of that muscle here with Nick Nurse because the numbers speak for themselves, Chris. You know, obviously their defense was number two in the NBA coming into the bubble. By a wide margin was number one in the bubble. A lot of that is attributed to their personnel and their their buy-in to Nick Nurse's systems. But also their efficiency, offensive efficiency out of timeouts is staggering how good it is. And that, again, speaks to him. I'd like to see them flex a little bit of muscle. So, you know, did we see an extension? Of course. There's no chance they're going to let Nick Nurse not get paid. Like, what else does he have to do in his first two years on the job? Win a so championship, true. win coach of the year. Like, he's Got literally it. done everything and then more so. So he's going to get paid, no doubt. Well, and I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, those are the things that Casey really struggled with, right, was after timeout plays, 
Um, I think, you know, even though he was a defensive coach, I, I just think he never really got the response mm-hmm. that, that someone like nurse has. So that's been extremely, I, I mean, look, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I think, I think we have the best coach in the NBA and maybe I have Raptors, you know, Homer goggles on, you know, obviously yeah. guys like Rick Carlisle and Popovich, like those guys are always going to be around Budenholzer, but you know, for my money, Nick nurse is as good as any of those guys. Yeah, he's certainly up there. I mean, I would still put uh, guys with experience like mm-hmm. Rick Carlisle and, and Greg Popovich above him. But Nick Nurse is well on his way to being considered as, you know, one of the best coaches in all of basketball. He's already there to an extent. But like when you put him in like that one, two, three, three right. range, you know, it's it's only a matter of time. Yeah, it's a it's a longevity thing, too. And I think, you know, it, we mentioned, you know, Nurse and his coach of the year season, how this season has sort of come along on your Twitter feeds and your, you know, in your podcast, you mentioned the enjoyment of this season. I think you talked about it with Jack Armstrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Jack mentioned how he was enjoying the, the victory lap and how the victory lap was almost more fun than the championship season. So I want to ask you, where does it rank for you in terms of Raptors seasons? God, you're posing one of my own questions at me. I like it. <laughs> guys been doing your research um yeah honestly this is the most fun i've ever had watching toronto raptors basketball and that includes last year because there was a lot of anxiety with just the Kawhi leonard uh you know rumors about whether or not he was going to stay and you know having every game matter that much more because it was an audition for Kawhi leonard like this is the reason why you should stay here we're putting the parts around you we're making this happen and we're going to make make a deep playoff run who knows what happens if that shot doesn't fall against in game seven against the Philadelphia 76ers, but everything sure. worked out well in the end. We won a championship, but this year it's like the pressure was off. The only thing that was really concerning me was that, you know, and I bring up the Jason McIntyre thing was all of these analysts kind of turning their nose to Toronto when Kawhi and Danny Green left. Like very this team fair. Is irrelevant. Very true. This team very doesn't true. matter anymore. They're, they're going to be back in the lottery. We never have to think of them again. But when you looked at the roster, there was still so much talent. It was so rich with talent. We knew Pascal was going to be thrust into a bigger role. Kyle Lowry was still here. Marcus Saul was still here. All of these guys, the bench was deep. So it was just a matter of sitting back, let the season play out as it did. And it exceeded even my wildest expectations. I thought at most the team was going to be fighting for the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference because the East was getting more top-heavy with teams like Miami and Indiana emerging. And then now, you know, who knows what the record would have been for a full 82-game season. We probably would have hit the 60-win mark for the first time in team history. That's absurd. The the things just worked out so damn well. And now there are realistic expectations of repeating as NBA champions without Kawhi Leonard, which is just insane when you look at it, you know, eight, nine months ago, where this team was in terms of losing Kawhi and everyone just kind of, you know, closing their eyes and looking in another direction. So now I enter this playoff run no matter what happens, with the exception of losing to Brooklyn, because right. that would just break right. my damn heart. Even if they were lose to, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> even if they were to lose to Boston, which is a really good team, and and I know Fred VanVleet had this quote recently, where he was like, "You know what? If anyone beats us in a seven game series, we're going to shake their hand and we're going to walk away. We're going to re, we're going to retool. We're going to do whatever we need to do." That's where this team is right now, where they're like, "You know what? We can hang with anyone. We can beat anybody." So if someone does eventually eliminate Toronto, I'm going to be cool with it. I'm just going to be like, this has been one hell of a year. I still got a fake championship ring on top of my desk here for the videoites out there who can see this. This is love great. it. So you know what? I'm I'm happy as can be. Nothing can tarnish this whole year for me. 
everyone says they're okay with it until they lose. And then we'll find things to be disappointed about, but you're right. Again, as a absolute Leafs Homer, I don't have that championship with the Raptors. We do like, it's just, it's Mm -hmm. so much goodwill and so much, so much built up. And, you know, speaking of going from potential pariah within corners of Raptors, Twitter, and potentially one person on this podcast who's wearing a Raptors jersey currently, Kyle Lowry has been very much a seesaw for this fan base. And now, for me, he's the number one Raptor of all time, where that kind of that spot was kind of held for DeMar, and in my opinion, was, was wrongly held under DeMar. Where do you have Kyle ranked in all-time Raptors? He's undoubtedly the greatest Toronto Raptor of all time. And I know people can make Reach. an argument for Kawhi Leonard. Because he, Kyle, Kawhi Leonard is, you know, probably the most talented player the Raptors have ever had. He's, you know, a top 10, top five player in the league right now. He's easily going to go in the Hall of Fame. And the Raptors don't win the championship last year without him on the roster. And then you can make an argument for Vince Carter. You know, the impact he had on Canadian basketball as a whole. Who knows if the Toronto Raptors would even be in Canada right now if it wasn't for Vince and him just kind of making the the Raptors the cool team in town you know maybe they would have left like the Vancouver Grizzlies did to Memphis and then of course DeMar DeRozan like you mentioned a lot of people did consider him the greatest Raptor for a a long time based on his longevity based on his statistics and the fact that he just really loved Toronto and he did want to stay here but Kyle Lowry I just think the overall resume of everything that he's accomplished the the fact that he now has an NBA championship his NBA all-star appearances He's the leader of this team and everything kind of turned around. You know, Masai Ujiri deserves a ton of credit, but when he became the undisputed starter for this team, that's when the success really started and caught Kyle Lowry. His jersey is going to get retired. He's, right. I think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. I, I know that's a coin flip for a lot of people, but you can't convince me that anybody else deserves to be in that top spot more so than Kyle Lowry. And this just means I have to tweet out Kyle Lowry over everything more <laughs> on my on my social media, the fact that we have to talk about this because he is number one. Yeah, and I think I think what helps too is that Kyle had his moment. Game six of the finals comes out. And yeah, honestly, I just talked about it. I got chills. Like he was so far, he was just unbelievable. And then Van Vliet obviously in the second half. But you know, I think it helps when, you know, when you think about seasons and you think about these type of players, you close your eyes and you think of that moment. What's your moment? And Kyle had his moment. And I think that's really, really important. And I think that's what that's what's going to catapult his Hall of Fame resume. That's what's going to catapult and, and solidify him as the number one Raptor. That first quarter in game six. Unbelievable. Golden State Warriors. He couldn't be stopped. And that's like, that's the moment. Like you said, every player kind of has that moment, maybe right. not one distinctive moment, but maybe like a, an entire game, an entire half. And that was the defining game that the Raptors clinched the NBA championship. But it was su- such a narrow score at the very end that without that first quarter, you know, we're going seven. Kyle Lowry goes to a game seven and who knows what happens then. So you mentioned Vince as your number two. And yes. it, we had a full podcast when he retired and we had a lot of back and forth. It was very, very contentious, Chris, between my brother and myself, because I kind of held that he did more for the country and for kind of just like our standing in basketball and the future of basketball within this country more than he ever did on the court for the Toronto Raptors. And I, I always felt that you can't ignore how he left. Now at the end of it all, I came around and said, I will always think of number 15 in a Raptors uniform as Vince Carter and nobody else. So then I was kind of leaning on the honor of the jersey, don't retire it. 
and Garbajosa. Yeah. Oh, I love him. And Amir Johnson and Anthony Bennett. Yeah, there we go. There we go. So where do you land on Vince Carter? It's been a mixed bag of emotions with Vince Carter. I was one of those disgruntled fans who, who held his departure against him for many, many years. But I'm also a guy who realizes that time heals all wounds. And the fact that the Raptors are as successful as they are now. Like if we were still a bottom of the barrel squad and, and struggling to make the playoffs and we weren't relevant at all, then yeah, probably some of those wounds would still be open and I would hold it against Vince Carter. But there, there's so much more to that story that we probably don't even realize at this point that'll probably come to the forefront at some point down the road. But Vince Carter, like, like I said before, I don't think the Toronto Raptors are in Toronto if it wasn't for Vince. He was their first mainstream star. He was their first superstar. And yeah, the tail end of his time in Toronto with with the injuries and you know him saying he didn't want to go for dunks anymore and him just kind of throwing in the towel. Right. Yeah, you can't forget that. But at the same time, he was the guy that put Toronto on the map. And it was nice. I, I brought this up in my last podcast when he returned in 2016 with the Memphis Grizzlies. And they played that video tribute for him. And all the play- players came on the court and they gave him a standing ovation and all the fans stood up and... I think now people can appreciate all that he did for the franchise. And yeah, there's, there's still a large number of fans out there that don't think the team should ever honor him, that that 15 should never be retired or whatnot, but he's so intertwined in the Raptors makeup and their history that you can't simply ignore it just because the circumstances didn't play out as well as you thought they would way back when he is one of the most important figures in not only Raptors history, but Canadian basketball in general. You see all of these Canadians in the league right now. How, how much do you want to bet that like 95% of them were influenced by Vince Carter Without at some question. point in their upbringing? You can't simply ignore that because you're a little bit butthurt about the way things ended. So Vince Carter is my number two Raptor of all time, but I wouldn't be opposed to anyone saying it's Kawhi or DeMar DeRozan. It's just a term of preference for me. But 15 will be hanging at Scotiabank Arena somewhere down the road. He For sure. And he, he made this jersey cool. You know, yeah, absolutely. He made, you know, he he made this franchise, you know, and and now that we've won the title, it's time to let this stuff go. Let it go. Mm -hmm. You know, like you don't have any reason to be upset anymore. You you did the thing. You did the big thing. That's all that matters. Um, So moving on to something a little more lighthearted on your Twitter recently, you dropped some Pokemon, Pokemon Raptors related (laughs) heat. Okay, but it felt crazy accurate. So I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, that OG and Anobi went from a Metapod to a Butterfree. And I think because to me, OG's growth and development to me is almost the story of the season. It's been unbelievable, particularly in the bubble. He's definitely a Butterfree now. Do you have any other Pokemon Raptors related heat that you can drop on us right now? God, I just had one too. I, I said one about uh, it was during the Bucks game. I think it was you use a Firestone on Kyle Korver and he becomes Matt Thomas. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I go with the Pokemon references as much as I did. I was a big red, blue, and yellow fan back in the day, so I try to, to correlate. Be. Is that uh, a lot of that to my Raptors tweets? But yeah, the 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 OG Ananobi one was super deep. I was we, like Metapod. He. he his only move is Harden, right? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. making your defense stronger. And that's all OG was for like the, the start of his career, basically. But now in the bubble, he's, his handling is, handle, has gotten so driving. much better. He's, yeah, like, I, I said this before. It was like 
with, with Kawhi Leonard being in Toronto, that that time was so valuable for a guy like OG Ananobi. Like sure. Kawhi Leonard Great is a guy point. that you can look at as like the prototype for what you need to become. And obviously that is is easier said than done for OG to become the next Kawhi Leonard. But that's the kind of guy you should strive to be. And with his offense developing at the way it is, and this is just the bubble. Like, where is he going to be another year or two down the road? Like in terms of his skill set, like that's really right. exciting to me. So we had a couple because obviously we are also red and blue and yellow fans. Uh, sure. My brother threw out Stanley Johnson as Magikarp, but then when he plays <laughs> Denver becomes Gyarados or in the OVO bounce game. I thought that was a little generous, but that was one of his. My, he also spoke about uh, potentially Siakam being Abra and then Kadabra and then Alakazam. The only thing that I don't like about that is you have to trade Kadabra to become Alakazam. Yeah. So we can't trade mm-hmm. Siakam and it definitely not, not for Definitely not for Wiggins in the first overall pick. Um, two of mine, I had Lowry as Snorlax. Great underlying numbers, really underappreciated, and should go into the hall as one of the greatest of all time, but kind of does it in such a boring way that probably won't. And then the last one I thought of was Marcus All as Lapras, just like this gentle giant who does everything right. Um, the only thing, you get Lapras for free in the game, which mm-hmm. obviously Mark wasn't for free, but if you consider what we traded to get Mark and you get the title. It wasn't not for free. It wasn't not for free. Now you have to invite me back to do just a strict Pokemon podcast. <laughs> You're getting the, the juices flowing up here in my head about like what other NBA comparisons can I make? I like, yeah. I like the Lapras one. That that Lapras goes real good. deep into it. Yeah, the gentle giant Marcus And yeah, I, I like this. I like Sean this. had uh, Van Vliet as Pikachu. Um, uh yeah. From a stature side, I, the problem with Pikachu is that like he's like the mar- he is like the guy, mm-hmm. you know. He's P- your Pikachu's like the guy in the I guess in the story or whatever. So well, yeah. I don't he's, know that Fred Van Fleet's got that yet. He's better in the story than he is in the game. That's the tough thing. Like Pikachu in the game True. sucks. Same. So if you use a Thunderstone on Fred Van Fleet, does he become Drake? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is that how that works? <laughs> how are he they not bigger related? And bulkier. Yeah, the the comparison is uncanny. So with we don't have much time left here, Chris, but I do want to transition to some greater NBA topics. You, you've thrown out your picks for the mm-hmm. first round. Do you know them off the top of your head, or do you want me to read them to the people? Sure. Give the people my picks, and they can crap on me later. <laughs> so in the Western <laughs> Conference, you have the Lakers in six over the Blazers, the Clippers in five over Dallas, the Nuggets mm-hmm. in five over Utah, Thunder in seven against a Russell Westbrook-less Houston Rockets team. In the East, Bucks in four, Raptors in five, Celtics in five, Heat in six. Of the seven that do not involve the Raptors, what two series are you most excited for? Oh, God. Lakers-Portland is going to be the bomb. I'm so excited about that. Damian Lillard is in just a killer mode right now. And he knows he's just, he has, again, it's like I've I've mentioned this before. He has nothing to lose. He's going into the series against the Lakers who are, you know, a massive favorite to get to the finals, if not win the entire thing. He's going up against two of the top five players in the entire league and LeBron James and Anthony Mm -hmm. Davis. This is the guy who's just going to take it all on his shoulders and just go off every single game, if he possibly can anyway. We're going to see at least one 50-point performance from Damian Lillard. The only unfortunate thing is, is that Portland can't defend to save their life. No. So their only way of winning this series is if every game is like 140 to 134. So they're they're in dire straits in that regard. I'm also looking forward to um, definitely not Bucks Magic. I can't stand the Orlando Magic. Oh, anymore. me neither. I'm so glad we avoided them as a first round matchup. Not because they scare me. It's because I'm just tired of seeing Toronto versus Orlando. Um, it's unfortunate what happened to Jonathan Isaac. He's probably sure. my favorite member of the Magic. 
but seeing what's left of them and having to see that for four more games in the first round at, at least, no, get that out of here. Uh, the other series I'm looking forward to is Oklahoma City and Houston. It sucks that Russell Westbrook's probably going to miss a couple of games, but I love everything that the Thunder have done. They were written off after that trade. Chris Paul has come in and just taken the bull by its horns and led mm-hmm. this young group. Shea Gildas Alexander is going to be an all-star sooner than you think. And they're going awesome. against Houston, who, you know, basically boycotted size, boycotted rebounding, boycotted all of that. And they're relying heavily on James Harden, their outside shooting, and of course, Russell Westbrook. I think that's going seven games in Oklahoma with, I would consider a mild upset in the sense that, you know, looking at who Houston has on their roster. But again, I think for the most part, all of these matchups kind of interest me. And but just because of that, we've never seen this before. This is a, a bubble playoffs where the games are going to be a lot closer together. There's not going to be these long waiting times. We're going to see, you know, these these stupid Zoom fan video boards right, or whatever, right, right. but and these new camera angles. So for, for those are the two series that stick out to me the most. But even the ones that don't necessarily pique my interest, I'm still probably going to watch just because it's one, it's it's NBA basketball. It's back. Right. We didn't think it was going to happen. And two of the bubble and how everything is going to look. And the product has been just fantastic. And I think people have talked about, you know, does travel, does travel, you know, um, does the non-travel, does that help? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know enough to to say one way or the other, but one thing I will say is the product's been great. And you know what? You, you touched on it first with Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard is a from the stands podcast favorite. Love that guy. He is breaking my brain right now with the stuff that he is doing. Um, you know, obviously the guy's a baller. Um, we love his rap game. We love that he's beefing other NBA stars. Like, I love that. <laughs> you know, I used to live in Portland for four years, and that guy is so loyal to that city. He's like Roger Federer is in Switzerland. It's just like, it's unbelievable. Oh, um, shout out to me. I'm Swiss, by the way. Okay. Well, yeah, then you yeah. love, you're a big Federer guy. You're he's just a god like, there, yeah. <laughs> like a god. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and, and what he's doing is unbelievable. And, and I think you're seeing a real conversation now where he sort of fits in with the rest of the point guards in the league. So I'm going to ask you that. Where do you think Lillard is in terms of in relation to other point guards? Because the, oh, there's, one, there's one that jumps out that didn't play this year, and that's Curry. But after, you know, when, when you talk about Lillard, like he's almost right there. You know what pisses me off the most is that I've seen a number of tweets posing the question about if Damian Lillard has somehow surpassed Stephen Curry in the pecking order of NBA point guards, which is just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. because Curry isn't out there doesn't mean he's just all of a sudden fallen off the face of the earth. When he gets right. healthy and the Warriors come back, they got that number one pick probably if they can do something, you know, trade it or, or do whatever with it. But Damian Lillard right now, you can make the argument that he's the most popular player in all of basketball just kind of seeing what he's done for portland and getting them to this point but in the in the grand scheme of things in terms of overall point guards he's always been you know in that in that top five level it's just him getting to the you know lifting a portland team that you know is offensively there but defensively they're not strong enough to win a championship so they're extremely limited in what they can accomplish you know when they recently they're getting to the western conference finals that was huge for them but getting to the next step of being an nba finals contender that's going to hurt damian lillard in the long run but i'm with you that i really hope he stays with portland i think the league needs more of that of these guys sticking yep. with these smaller markets and really becoming something special and getting to the promised land i don't know if portland will ever get there but i hope he stays in rip city 
for as long as possible. But anyone on Twitter who thinks he surpassed Stephen Curry, get out of here. Stop it. Exactly. I'm with you 100%. 100%. So let's jump into the quick hitters, Chris. So we have 10 questions for you. Obviously, yes, no, pass, both, pick, whatever it's going to be. But <laughs> it's laid out for you to, to be really quick. Obviously, if, you, if there's something that comes up that you really want to dive into a little bit further, hey, you're the guest. You do what you want to do. So, Ian, sure. I'm going to start. Are you ready, Chris? I was born ready. NWO or DX? Oh, God. NWO. I was, I was such a WCW fan back in the day. I loved the Attitude Era, but Hogan, Nash, Hall, those are my guys. I love that answer. Starting your franchise, Luka Doncic or Giannis? God, you guys are throwing some hardballs at me today. Um, I give the slight edge to Giannis because I want him to come to the Raptors if he hears this. You are speaking that into existence on Twitter. I absolutely love it. Damn right. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself cheering against Kawhi Leonard? Never. What he did for the Raptors last year, he'll always have a place in my heart. And I hope there's a statue outside of Scotiabank of him crouching and then another one of Jordan Lloyd watching the basket as well. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, best finishing move in wrestling history? Uh, the Stone Cold Stunner. Favorite Pokemon? Ooh, that's God, there's so many. You know what? Uh, the My holographic Charizard was uh, a prized possession of mine. So I'd be... You know, you know what? I, I changed that. Blastoise. Very underrated as the third tier starter Pokemon. Very, very, very true. Uh, undead Undertaker or American Badass Undertaker? Get the American Badass out of here. The, the dead man reigns supreme. Although I don't know what he was going for in that graveyard match. It was kind of a mix of both. But uh, that's probably going to be his last match for a while. But yeah, the dead man Undertaker. That's a very special character with a longevity that we'll probably never see again. Raptors draft choice that hurts your feelings more. Rafael Arujo over Andre Iguodala or Andrea Bargnani over LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy? Uh, well, it's unfortunate what happened to Brandon Roy. Uh, who knows what his career would have looked like if he came to Toronto. Um, Andrea Bargnani, he, he was bad being a number one pick. If he was anywhere other in the draft, I think Raptors Twitter would be a lot easier on him. He was still like a 20 points per game score. He couldn't rebound to save his life, but that wasn't the type of game that he had. Hoffa was just, he shouldn't have been in the league to begin with. And Andre Iguodala, you know, perennial all-star, eventual finals MVP, that one stings more so. I agree. Uh, Which signing was better? Linus Klaza, four years, 18.8 million, or Landry Fields, three years, 18.5 million? Now, remember, Landry got signed to bring Nash to Toronto. Yeah, the Landry Fields was way worse, uh, considering (laughs) the the entire story behind that. Uh, Latest Clays, uh, I didn't mind him as much. Landry Fields, he had so many problems, uh, most of them injury-related, and then, you know, he should have never been paid that much. So, uh, yeah, Landry Fields. Sorry, brother. Stone Cold or The Rock? Uh, yeah, I was a big Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. That's why I, I picked the Stone Cold Stunner. He's just, you know, and that's the problem with wrestling these days. And I can go trust, I can go on a massive rant about this. They don't have the star power that they used to back in the day. And they're not exactly doing their best to kind of build up someone to that point. I know they're banking a lot on a, a Roman Reigns type to be that next rock, the next Stone Cold Steve Austin. But those two guys are on a level unto themselves. And no Correct. one's going to reach that point unless, you know, you just you hit the jackpot. John Cena was kind of in that territory, but Austin and the rock were a little bit above him in that sense. 
but yeah, I give the slight edge, uh, slight edge to Austin, but I, I love The Rock as well. One of the best promos in the business. It's great on the mic. And I think too, not to go too far into it, but I think the problem with Cena is that you couldn't get Cena into a bad guy role. It just never worked. And, mm-hmm. you know, the other two guys, they could, and it did work. So I think that, that's, yeah. the, that's the distinction. Having a guy that could do both. I think the company really, you know, with John Cena, they wanted him to be that next big star and they really pushed him. And that's why the fans were, were turning on him to the degree they were, you know, the, with the, with the chance and whatnot, begging for a heel turn with Austin, it was more organic. You know, they gave him that King of the ring victory. And then he just skyrocketed into superstardom following that three sixteen speech right. and the rock to a lesser extent, you know, obviously he was extremely charismatic wrestling was in his bloodline and whatnot, but with John Cena, they were just shoving him down our throats. And that's the same thing with Roman Reigns as well. He gets similar reactions. Uh, so, yeah, wrestling. The, oh, God. Again, invite me back for a wrestling podcast and I can go <laughs> hard on this. Well, a good friend of ours, a big, uh, a big wrestling buff. So we asked some of his advice on this. So, yeah, we, we should definitely do that. Well, And as you say that, the last quick hitter is would you come on the podcast again? We, we, it sounds like we got some Pokemon to talk about, some wrestling to talk about. Hey, you guys just say the word. I would love to come back. Well, it's been, uh, it's really been great having you. I, I think, you know, one thing we wanted to touch on before, uh, before we go is you are one of the reasons why you're such, you're so great on Raptors Twitter is because, um, you are constantly shouting out the other people on Raptors Twitter that are must follows or just on Twitter in general. And I think that's what makes, you know, obviously makes you a great follow, but makes you an even better person. So let's take the time. You know, make sure everyone makes sure you go check out Chris on Twitter and his podcast. But is there anyone in the Twitterverse that leading up to the playoffs that Raptors fans need to be looking at? Well, it's it's hard to pick out one person. I, I think, you know, moving forward in the playoffs, something that I've been trying to do is during halftime is just spread the love and, and shout out as many accounts as possible. You know, I, I don't think I'm, you know, excuse my language, hot shit, but I try to use my platform to kind of elevate as many people as possible because that's the least I can do because that's what people did to me back in the day. So if anything, I made a list of essential Toronto Raptors follows. There's maybe like 120, 125 of us. And I kind of grouped them all together for people to follow during the postseason run. And, you know, I'll I'll look up and down that list and I'll try and shout out as many people as possible. But I think that's just a very important thing these days is just to spread as much positivity as you can give people that may not have as many followers kind of a spotlight and say, Hey, these guys or girls are are doing exceptional work and you need to be checking them out. And I think that rings true for you guys as well. You know, like I've, I'm so happy I got a chance to to meet you guys and do this podcast. I think you guys are great on air talents. I I had the pleasure of doing this show and I think more people need to be, you know, getting into the podcast realm. If you think you have a voice, I think everyone needs to use it and, and, and put your, your stuff out there, share your podcast, share your opinions. I think that's very important. Well, and I think, you know, this sort of leads from your podcast with Chuck. um, When, when you guys were talking about being the light in someone's storm and, you know, that, I don't know about you, but I was listening. I was walking my dog and I was listening. And I was, I was like, it stuck with me for like days. And, you know, I, I feel like when you're talking about that is you, when you're hitting, when you're, when you're trying to promote all these people that do amazing things on Twitter, that's, you know, sort of the energy that you're working with. So I think uh, you definitely deserve a lot of credit for that. Well, well, thank you so much, man. It, I, it's the least I can do. You know, I started off at, at a similar spot as a lot of people are right now. I, I busted my ass to get somewhat of, of a platform and use it to help my podcast, use it to help my, you know, 
fledging media career, if you will. But I think the more that we do on social media, using it as a positive experience, a positive tool to help out everybody, why not? You know, 2020 has been one of the worst years for a lot of people. So if you can do something as small as sending out a tweet and leaving some positive feedback to make someone's day, why not do it? Well, Chris, we really appreciate you coming on. Keep shooting your shot with the Walder Sportscast. Keep getting those bucket list people like Chuck Swirsky, like Jack Armstrong. Keep building that because we love listening to it. We're going to keep shooting our shot. And we, we really hope that we can have you back to talk a bunch of different things. But uh, again, Chris, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. It was very gracious. All the best to you guys. Thank you so much for having me. Ian, sign him off, buddy. Thank you again to Chris for joining us today. Um, Really, really big moment for us. It was a blast. Talked about a bunch of great stuff. And remember, everyone, stay safe out there and wear your mask.